Well, most of you guys know me as Pastor Kevin, but the truth is, prior to coming into ministry for about a decade, I was a maintenance guy. Uh, I worked for these apartment complexes in Mansfield and Foxborough, and every once in a while we get a call for some water in the basement or in the laundry room. And nine times out of ten, what the issue was, it, it had something to do with the boiler. Now, for those of you not in the know, uh, a boiler is just a, a big box, probably in your basement, where water comes in, gets heated up by some flames underneath, and then goes back out into the system so that when you turn on your tap, you get hot water. Or there are some, uh, some heating systems that use forced hot water so that when you turn the thermostat up, uh, that hot water goes through the house and, and, and heats up your home. Well, that boiler, the way that it works, uh, it's a big box, water comes in, flames underneath, heats up the water, not a fancy name for what it does, it, it boils water. Um, but what happens when you heat up water is that it creates energy. That, those water mo molecules really start moving faster and faster, creating energy and pressure inside the boiler. Now, in an ideal world, when that's working properly, it's great. It comes in, it heats up, and it goes back out and does what it is supposed to do. But in a world in which we live, things tend to go wrong sometimes. And so what, what can happen is that the water come in uh, gets heated up, creating all this energy and has nowhere to go. And what you have instead of a boiler is a bomb. And so what the engineers did in designing a boiler is they put this really clever thing on there uh, called a pressure relief valve. And what that does is when the pressure gets too high and the water's not going back out into the system the way that it's supposed to, the pressure relief valve will blow off and then you have a little bit of a flood in your basement. So you have this minor inconvenience of a flood rather than a major inconvenience of an explosion. Now, why am I telling you about home maintenance and home repair? Other than to get some of you guys to, to kind of lean in, those of you who grew up on, on this old house, to, to kind of lean in this morning. Well, I, I'm, I'm telling you about it because our systems uh, were also built with pressure relief valves. We have two of them. They're right here in your eyes, and they're called tear ducts. And, and if we don't occasionally use them, men, I'm talking to you in particular, uh, not to stereotype, it's just, it's just the way that it tends to be. But uh, if we don't occasionally use them, then we will turn into a bomb. Or, on the other side, we'll just unplug the system and let the, the, the pressure meter go flat. So we'll either turn into a bomb and explode, or we'll just go completely flat and numb, shrivel up, and become numb to reality. So we're continuing on our Trail Life series this morning, going through a couple of the Psalms of Ascent, which is Psalm 120 through 134, these songs that Israel would sing as, as a group as they walk the trail up Mount Zion to Jerusalem three times a year. And, and this morning we're going to be reading Psalm 130. Psalm 130 is a psalm of lament. And if Psalms are, are God's song book, then Psalm 130 is in a minor key. And, and what, what great music does, what great poetry does, is that it can, it can put words to the emotions that you're feeling. What a great artist can do is that he or she can, can take all of those emotions and all that turmoil that's going on inside, and they can put words to it so that your soul can then connect it. They, they connect it with beautiful melody, beautiful lyrics, Words and music, for those of you who've ever seen Eddie and the Cruisers. Words and music. But they, they come together 
they go out into the world and then your soul connects with them. And this one happens to be God's very word. But this is why people love blues music, right? This is why I love blues music. Blues music, it's said, is sad music that makes you feel good. Blues music, sad music that makes you feel good. And, and there are some classic lines in blues songs, just unbelievable lines. Like B.B. King, one of his lines was, was, nobody loves me but my mama and she might be jiving too. <laughs> but there's a, one of my favorite lines in all of blues music is a line by Albert King. He said, born under a bad sign, been down since I began to crawl. If it weren't for bad luck, I wouldn't have no luck at all. If it weren't for bad luck, I wouldn't have no luck at all. And hearing somebody else take those words and put them out into the world so that my soul can connect with them, it helps you to feel less crazy. It helps you to feel like you're not alone. And it helps you, even though the words themselves are sad, can help you to feel better. There's a great uh, blues musician, Big Bill Brunzi. And by the way, blues musicians just had the greatest names. You got Big Bill Brunzi, you got Muddy Waters, and Bo Diddley and Blind Lemon Jefferson, just great names. But Big Bill Brunsey, he passed away in the 1950s. But he has this quote in talking about blues music. He says, blues is a natural fact. It's something that a fellow lives. If you don't live it, you don't have it. Young people today have forgotten to cry the blues. Now they talk and get lawyers and things. Young people today have forgotten to cry the blues. Now they talk and get lawyers and things. Now there's nothing wrong with talking. It's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with getting lawyers. That can be a good thing. But if we do those things before we actually process the emotions of what's actually going on, then we are neglecting that lament. We're neglecting something that is fundamental to us as human beings, right? Jesus lamented. And he was the most human being that ever walked the face of the earth. So in a world that is so broken by sin, we are going to experience loss. We are going to experience grief. We are going to experience disappointment and pain. And the reality is that God has invited us into those emotions. He's invited us into those emotions to teach us something more about him, to grow our trust in him, to grow our faith in him. But too often, those emotions, we feel like they, they, they just, they, the reality is they take a long time to walk through. They're not quick. And so, and they, and they hurt. So oftentimes, instead of walking through the sadness, instead of walking through the pain, we'll sidestep them into emotions that are easier and quicker for us to process. Emotions like anger, emotions like fear, or even something like apathy, and let ourselves go numb. But something tells me that with the year that we have been having, some of us need to stop just trudging through and sidestepping those feelings and actually stop and lament, lament. So with all of that up front, Let's read together Psalm 130. A song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. 
My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for inviting us into difficult emotions and promising to walk in them with us and bring us out the other side healthier with greater faith and greater trust in who you are. God, teach us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So you can see in just a, a quick reading through it, it, it is a lament, but it, there's, there's hope. There's a, there's a lining of hope in there, and always with God. There is always hope, no matter what the emotion. But let's, let's walk through it together uh, and kind of break it apart a little bit. Uh, it's really it's broken down into four parts. Uh, verses 1 and 2 is a cry for help. Verses 3 and 4 are prayer for forgiveness, just a reminder that God does forgive. Uh, 5 and 6 is, is hope for God's intervention. And then seven and eight is a call of encouragement to others. Now, even, even saying that, just kind of breaking it down that way, it feels really clinical. It feels really cold. Like this is a song. This is a song. This is something that's meant to go like in your eyes, through your brain, into your heart, and then out your mouth so that your whole body can experience it. Like watch what happens when I do this. Waymaker. Miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, that is who you are. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, that is who you are. Like those things are all true. Those things are all true. He is the waymaker. He is a miracle worker. He is a promise keeper. That is who he is. But it loses something in translation when you speak it rather than experiencing it. And God is inviting us in to experience it with him. But this is also God's word. It was given to us. It was gifted to us. Just as our tear ducts were gifted to us by him, it was gifted to us by our loving Heavenly Father as a resource, as a tool to understand him better and understand ourselves better. So let's actually walk through it. Verse 1 and 2. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Now, the first thing you might notice in in reading this is that it's anonymous. The author is anonymous, and the circumstances in which it was written is anonymous. Now, some of the the Psalms of Ascent, uh, they're not anonymous. We know a few of them were written by King David. Uh, One of them was written by Solomon. But this particular one is anonymous, and I think that's intentional on God's part. Like there was a day in reality, in history, where the psalm writer sat down with all of these feelings and penned these words. We, we don't know what, how, where he woke up that day, what his circumstances were. We don't know any of that. But in making it anonymous, God made it universal for all of us. Like who can't relate at some point to these words? Oh Lord, I cry to you. Please hear my voice. Like there's, there's nowhere else to go. We've all had circumstances in which we come to the end of ourselves. And the only thing we can do is cry out and hope that God will hear us, beg him to hear us. 
This is something that babies get right. This is something that we can learn from little babies. Like Jesus said that if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you have to become like the little children. Well, what he was saying in there is that little children understand that they are completely dependent upon their parents, especially babies, completely dependent on their parents. All they can do is cry out. Like infants aren't like, excuse me, mother, I'm quite parched. I could use a beverage. No, they're not running to the fridge to get apple juice for themselves. They can't. All they can do is cry and hope that somebody is going to come along and help them. So this is something that we can learn from children. They are dependent. And so often we feel like we are autonomous and we are independent and we got this. Don't worry about it. But the reality is God will often, or occasionally at least, lift that veil of autonomy and show us that in fact we are weak and we do need him. And that's good. And that's exactly where he wants us. Because the beautiful thing about being in the depths is there's nowhere else to look except for up. When you're in the depths, the only place to look is up. You can't distract yourself away from it. And what lament can do, a good lament, it intermingles emotions. It's not just sadness and it's not just despair. It's this Venn diagram where sadness and beauty and hope and despair all meet and swim together and get all, it's a stew. They all come together and, 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 and they just resonate with your soul. We'll continue reading in verse 3 and 4. It says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquity, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. So here we have this prayer for forgiveness. This prayer for forgiveness. And this sounds a lot like Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I remember reading that verse and hearing that verse fresh with like wet eyes, just opening them up to this brand new world uh, of the kingdom of God, of Christianity, of Jesus as Lord, and thinking like just this, this, this assurance, all have sinned, and feeling the weight of that and the joy of knowing that I have been forgiven. But that, that can grow a crust on it over time. And, and Romans 3.23 can just be one more step on the road to salvation of when you're witnessing to somebody else. It can become clinical and it can become cold. But you, O oh Lord, should mark iniquities. O oh Lord, who could stand? This, this psalm writer is painfully aware at this moment in penning this psalm of his own shortcomings, of his own sinfulness. And he's dealing with it rather than distracting himself away from it. And so often we can feel that tinge of conviction. We, we feel that tinge of conviction. We can distract ourselves away from it rather than process through it, rather than, than allow God to do the work that he wants us to do. It's just so easy for us to distract ourselves away from it with TV or video games or even politics, just looking around the world. And, and none of those things in and of themselves are bad. But when God knocks on your door, the, the worst thing you can do is be like, God, actually, you know what? Now's not a great time. Uh, I'm, a, I, I'm level 750 on Candy Crush. Like, I, I'm, I'm on a roll here. God, come back tomorrow. Or, or God, now, now's not a great time. I, I just have a couple more episodes to catch up on, and then, and then we'll do business. The worst thing to do when God is knocking on your door is to say, uh, just come back later, because you're going to numb yourself, and that knock won't be quite as loud next time. Now is not a great time. But the psalm writer knows who's knocking. This psalm writer knows who's knocking. He says, but with you, O Lord, there is forgiveness. 
He knows who he's talking to. He knows the characteristics of who God is. See, I can't ask for forgiveness until I accept that I've done, done something wrong, done something in, in, that needs to be forgiven. And God is gracious enough to tell us the truth. He is good enough to tell us the truth. When we, when we mess up, he's good enough to knock and say, hey, um, you, you know, I saw that and, and you know, I'm here. Uh, there is forgiveness with me. Let's chat. But, but it, it hurts. And so we, we can sidestep it into a different emotion. It's so easy to, to distract ourselves away from our own issues and, and put them on other people like, God, actually, I, I'm glad you're here because there's a lot of things that I've been meaning to tell you about those people over there. Like, look what's going on over on that side of the country. Oh, God, look what's going on on that side. Look what's going on down the street from me. And God says, no, like, I see that too. I'm, I'm big enough to deal with them. Uh, but right now I want to talk to you. See, the first thing that we need to realize is that the evil that we see out there on our TV screens and in our city is the same evil that lives right in here. And God wants to do business with that first so that then you can be a messenger of hope in a healthy way rather than being a ticking time bomb. But what happens when you do realize that? What happens when you do realize and you let God in and and he starts to do work with you and you're in the middle of it and you just don't feel that peace. You just still feel like it still hurts, and it's an, ex- it's an extended period of, of, of hurting. There's no solution yet. See, these emotions, they do take time. These problems, they do take time. They're not quick fixes. And that's why so often we don't deal with them. So what happens? We'll continue reading the rest of the psalm. Starting in verse 5, it says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. God doesn't move on our timetable. And so often, he makes us wait in order to teach us more about who he is and more about who we are. So that if we walk with him through it, then he will, will seem even more wonderful and even more glorious on the other side. I'll tell you a story that I hope helps. And I'll, I'll preface this by saying, um, this is a, a dad fail story on my part. Um, but a, a number of years ago, uh, my family and I were at Ikea, and we're walking through, and, and my little girl, um, she was getting lost in her imagination, as little girls do, and appropriate to her age. She's kind of you know, playing around and getting lost in her imagination and exploring the bedrooms and pretending and, and all this stuff. And, and as a dad, I'm like, all right, like, let's, let's keep moving. You guys who've been to Ikea, you know what, like, how long that can take getting through uh, when you know what you're getting. And so we're, we're, I'm like trying to gently nudge her and gently remind her to, to keep coming. And it happens a number of times. I'm like, I got Swedish meatballs to eat. Can we, can we get along and get a move on here? Um, but she keeps doing it. And so, so I see her one, once again um, escape into her imagination in one of these little bedrooms and and I thought, now's a good time uh, to teach a lesson. And so I let her go off into the bedroom, and she's playing, and, and I walked away about 30 feet. 
and the little bedroom is kind of tucked away in a corner and, and, and I'm standing out in, in the, the walkway and, and I'm watching her the whole time and I see her and I see the moment where she snaps back into reality and she looks around and she realizes, oh no, I'm alone. Oh no, I have, I have screwed up. And, and she walks out into the aisle and looks around and she doesn't see me. And, and I see the fear and the despair on her face. I'm a little girl lost in this giant place that I don't know where I am and I don't know anybody. And I see her whisper these words, oh no. And she just turned around and went back into that little bedroom display where, where she felt the safest, I guess. And I'm watching with my, with my father's heart. I'm watching her do this and my heart is breaking because I'm transported back to when I was in fifth grade and I got lost at the 4th of July in Braintree and there were 10 million people there, might be an exaggeration, but there were 10 million people there and I couldn't find my parents anywhere and just the fear and anxiety and pain that I was feeling in that moment. And so I, I rushed over and I scooped her up into my arms and she's like, Daddy, I'm so sorry. And I was like, sweetie, I am so sorry. <laughs> I should not have done that. Uh, but, but the father's heart that I felt in that moment tells me a little bit about our father's heart when he sees us and we snap into reality and we realize I messed up. And he wants to run over to us and scoop us up and tell us that we're going to be okay, that we're still with him. Like she thought that she, she, thought that she was abandoned, but I, my eyes were on her the whole time. She thought that, I was, that, that she was all alone, but I was with her. I was just, you know, a few feet away. I had the whole situation under control the whole time. But what do we do in the meantime? Because so long, so often, that, that moment between oh no and being scooped back up into our father's arms is longer than five seconds, like it took me at Ikea to run back to her. What do we do when that oh no lasts a longer time? He says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word, I hope. What we do, we cling to his promises that we are forgiven, that we are forgiven through Christ, that we belong to him. We make him hold up his promises because he is a promise-keeping God. And we remind him, even though he knows, we remind him. And in reminding him, we're reminding ourselves that God is faithful. God, you have to do something. I don't know what to do. I'm at the end of my rope. God, you've promised never to leave me or forsake me. Please don't leave me now. God has made a covenant and he will keep it. He will keep it. That feeling, think back to, to he says, more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning, repeats it. So think about that, like, like the watchman waiting at night, just that, that uncertainty and that, that despair. He's waiting for that, that, the morning, because when the morning comes, there is safety. But that's also laced with hope, because every night of my life and every night that has ever happened came with a morning that followed. So there is hope. Morning is coming. It just might take longer than you would hope. Morning will come. And God's love for us, his steadfast covenant love for us, is not bound by my feelings towards him at any particular time. It is bound by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
It's not bound by how I feel about him right now. It is bound by Jesus. And nothing can break that. Nothing can break that. It's secure. It's secure in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, so you can enter into lament. And you can enter into pain. And you can enter in with hope. Because we have a Savior who knows what that feels like. Like Just like when, when I saw my little girl, my, my imagination, my, my mind went back to when I got lost at the 4th of July. Jesus knows what despair feels like. Hebrews chapter 4 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In the garden and on the cross, when Jesus sweat drops of blood, when Jesus said the words, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Despair. And on the cross, when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was abandoned so that you never will be Christian. You never will be alone. That's a guarantee. Hold on to that promise. Now, in wrapping up, I just want you to assess yourself. Like, where is the the pressure gauge on your metaphorical boiler? Is it, is it peaked? How long has it been peaked? Are, are you turning into a bomb? Or did you pull the, the cord a while ago and, and you're just kind of flatlined? Where's that pressure gauge on your boiler? When was the last time that you used the gift of your tear ducts? Was it the, you know, 20 years ago when you watched Field of Dreams? When it, that, that's like the only movie that it's acceptable to cry during for, for guys. Like, and even that, it's just like one single tear that you can just wipe away. But when was the last time that you used the gift of your tear duct? Whatever it takes, I would encourage you to set aside time and process what has been going on. Deal with it. It has been a very difficult six months and, and even longer than that. If you have to take a, t- a day off of work, if you have to take a sick day and just dedicate it to lament, whatever it takes, do it. If you've just been trying to trudge through and, and like, just, I just got to get to the next thing, like I just got to get to tomorrow, I just got to get to tomorrow, you're going to blow up or you're going to become numb. And neither of those are an option for you, Christian. So in wrapping up, I, I love how this psalm ends as this communal hope in the Lord. This is something that we need to do together. We need to consistently and constantly remind one another, remind one another that God is faithful, that he will not abandon you. So I just want to read this over you guys. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. O Charles River Church, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast 
love. And with him is plentiful redemption. And he has redeemed you from all your iniquities through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.